you who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Church, isn't it a blessing to know that we receive the grace of God whenever we need it? The Lord commands us to approach the throne of grace boldly. And that is what we get to do today as we search the scriptures. It's a blessing to be here. For those of you who think that I look really familiar, it's because I look exactly like my dad. He's sitting right there. We have the same beard, as you can tell. I look exactly like him. Uh, I came out and they're like, wow, this kid looks so much like his dad. Um... But it is, it is a wonderful thing. Mom, would you mind closing that door so that the doesn't blow my pages? Thank you. Aloha, church. It is so good to be in Hawaii. Um, when I'm in the mainland, I, I, I crave the food from Hawaii, and I crave to talk pigeon, and I crave to see local people, but most of all, it's just, it's just this, this body and these people that I love so much. So much, and every time that I'm here, it is like my heart is filled because I'm experiencing life together with you, and it is a blessing to be here today. You know, I posted on Facebook that I was going to be preaching today at my old church, and I told my friends, if you guys can come, come, come hear the word of God preached. Come, come to our old church, and many of them know where it is. We, we brought plenty of our friends from high school to church with us. And by the grace of God, many of them were saved, but I, I received a message from someone that I did not anticipate receiving a message from. It was my seventh grade math teacher who lived in Hawaii for probably two years. And uh, he messaged me and he said, Chris, I want you to know that I'm very happy that you are going back to Hawaii. And uh, while I was in Hawaii, he said, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a religious person but I noticed that there was a spiritual desperation in those people, and they were in need of some kind of spiritual guidance. This is an unbeliever. This is an unbeliever, a man who who does not know Jesus. He sensed that there was a spiritual desperation in our people, and that is why we long to come home. That is why we long to see Christ made known here in Hawaii, because there is a darkness over our land, though the sun is shining every day, there is a darkness that cannot be pushed through by man. And that darkness is thick, and it is resting on the hearts of our people. And daily, we see it in the interactions that we have with our friends from high school, with our co-workers, with our neighbors. We see that there is darkness that has gripped our people. Well, today, as we open up the scriptures, church, saints of God, elect in Christ, today we will open up the scriptures and we will see a light that penetrates any darkness. We see a light that blazes in fierce glory. We see the light that is God. So would you open your scriptures with me today to the book of 1 John? We're going to be in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 2, 2. Just go ahead and flip there. I'm going to take a little drink of water. 
If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible under the pew in front of you, and you can grab it and flip to the book of 1 John. Ask your neighbor, no shame, ask your neighbor if you don't know where it is to, to help show you where the book of 1 John is. It's important that we open the scriptures when the preacher is addressing the word of God so that we know with full assurance that this is not the word of me. This is not the word of Chris Komatsu. My words fail. My words are weak. My words are blemished. My words are not lasting. But the word of God never perishes. The word of God never fails. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. So turn to the book of 1 John if you're not there yet. And I'm gonna read the passage for us. And then I'll pray for the Spirit to come and be with us today as we study His Word. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let us go to God and beg Him to come and move among us. Keakua, O God, we cry out to you, Lord. We are a weak and desperate people. If you do not come to us, there will be no effect. But Spirit, if you come, we know that you move and you are mighty to save. So God, would you come and meet with your people here in this place? This place is not holy because it is a building. It is holy because this is where your bride is. So come, God. Come and make your, make your word known to us. Help us understand how we should pursue you. Please, Father God, help me to, to speak and teach in a way that is clear so that Jesus might be magnified today. Thank you. Jesus, in your name I pray, amen. So right off the bat, right, so that last section that Zeke read, it was talking about this message that we heard, this message that we've seen, this message, this message, what is this message? And in verse five, the apostle John tells us plainly what the message is. This is the message that we have heard from him, that God is light, okay? What does that mean? What does it mean that God is light? God being light means that he is perfect.
perfect in his splendor. He is unblemished in his holiness. He is unstained in his purity. It means that his goodness goes forth with radiance that is blazing with fierce glory that God is altogether good. For God to be light, that means that he is everything that is good. And for God to be light, it is unlike light that man has ever seen. For we know that the scriptures tell us that no man may see God and live. So we know that God being light must be a light that no man can ever have seen with his own eyes. What does that say about God? That means that there is no murkiness in God. Okay, there's no murkiness in God, right? So when you walk into a room and the light is kind of faint, you're like, oh, where is that that I'm looking for? When God is here, the light is blazing, and there is no question what is there. There is no murkiness of God. When you're swimming at the beach and you're like, oh, the clarity is probably two feet, the water depth, I can maybe see two feet. There is no murkiness in God. It is perfectly clear who God is. He is everything good. That means that he is everything righteous. He is everything pure. There is no claim that could ever be made against God. And how do we know that God is light and there is no murkiness in God? Because it says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That means that there, is, that there can never, ever, ever be any kind of darkness, any kind of stain, any kind of blemish, any kind of sin that approaches or is in the Godhead. He is perfect in his splendor. He is magnificent in his glory and it is untouchable. There can never be a claim made against God that says there is darkness that dwells with or in God. It is impossible. It is impossible for there to be darkness in God. And in the next verse, we find a dilemma, right? If God is light, that's the first, first section of this. If God is light, okay, God is light, we find a dilemma. Okay, let's, let's read on in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. What does that mean? If God is light, it demands that human beings cannot walk in darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? What does it mean to be in the dark? Just really succinct throughout all of the scripture, you will find that walking in darkness means that you do not know God. And not knowing God is evidenced by a plethora of things, by many ways. But first and foremost, it is the heart of a man who does not know God. Thus, the heart of a man will crave things that is sinful. He will go after unrighteousness. He will never repent of his sin. He will never confess his sin. He will never go to be with God. It's, it's someone who is still reveling, still reveling in unrepentant and blatant sin. They love it. They're in darkness. And the idea of walking, right? It says, if we say we have fellowship while we walk, that is a continual state 
of being. That means that this person is continually living in sin. They're surrounded, they're shrouded in darkness. They're covered in darkness. They love it, they're in it. But here, this verse is telling us that if we do, not, if we do that, we lie. We lie if we say that, that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, that we lie and do not practice the truth. What does that mean? That means that it is impossible for a man to experience life with God and be unchanged. Man cannot know God and then live in sin because to know God is to be in the light with Him. So, man cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with God. I heard one of my professors explain the Apostle John at this age this way. He's like an older pastor who's seasoned with life and you know what? He just shoots straight. He has no fluff. He's just telling it like it is. You live in sin, You can't know God. It's impossible. He is laying it black and white. He's telling it like it is. It's impossible for you to know God and be unchanged. However, okay, the the Apostle John in this book is detailing many ways in which the Christian must walk in the light. And we're seeing that throughout this book. So in this section, there is a very particular way in which the Apostle John is telling us as Christians that we must not walk in darkness. He has this very specific walking in darkness that he wants us to pay attention to in this section. And what is that walking in darkness? See, the Apostle John is targeting something specific here. Walking in darkness is directly equated with refusing, as a Christian, with refusing to confess our sin. The Apostle John is giving Christians a very specific way in which they must not walk in darkness. And there are two ways, okay, there are two ways that not confessing our sin becomes a lie that separates us from God. There are two ways that we see that that not confessing our sin becomes a lie that separates us from God. The first lie is found in verse 8, okay? If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. So what is that saying? It's saying you're telling a lie about yourself. When you refuse as a Christian to confess your sin, you're telling a lie about yourself. Why? Because every man sins. If you refuse to confess your sin, you are living in deception. You are walking in darkness. You're telling a lie about who you are if you are a Christian and refuse to confess your sin. Okay, the second lie we'll find in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you see that? The second lie is a lie about God. This is a lie about God. Why? Because it's saying, it's saying that, that somehow darkness can dwell with God. That sin can be with God. This is a blatant offense to God's holiness, to God's being the light. It is a blatant offense. It is a blatant offense. This is saying that sin can dwell with God without being obliterated. And that's a lie about God. God is light 
and in him is no darkness at all. In him is no darkness at all. God altogether hates the darkness because darkness is sin. And in both cases, notice that both of these denials, both of these lies about refusing to confess your sin, it's not just a lie. It doesn't just become a lie. Walking in darkness by refusing to confess your sin as a believer is a lie that separates you from God. It's a lie that undermines your intimacy with the Father. It's a lie that brings about separation between you and your Father. How do I see that? In verse 8, and the truth, and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, and his word is not in us. If the truth of God is not in someone and his word is not in someone, that means they are not of God. When you as a believer, when we as believers refuse to confess our sin to the Father, we create a breakage in our intimacy. We create a breakage in our intimacy. We create a void between us and the Father. So John here, John here is continually pressing the fact that it is impossible for a man to live in sin and to live in fellowship with God. He is continually pressing that fact. We're seeing that. by It's a lie. It's bringing separation. So, is John demanding moral, absolute perfection? That Christians have to be perfect people that can never sin? If sin brings about separation, if this is happening, does that mean that Christians have to be perfect? That we have to be perfect people? We don't. And we see that here in this verse. And this is what, we see this, that here in this, in this section. This is what separates Christianity apart from every other religion, every other worldview, every other thought process. We, as believers, as those redeemed by God, we are not to hide away our sin like Muslims, right? Who say, no, my, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. We're not to hide away our sin like, oh man, no, I didn't really do that. That wasn't really bad. That was just a white lie, right? That was just a little white lie. Or I cut the guy off, but yeah, he was driving slow, right? No, no. We're not to hide our sin. Rather, we as Christians are encouraged through Jesus to come to God with our sin. And that's what separates Christianity apart from every other worldview. And we see this directly in this passage. Kahului Baptist Church must be a place where sinners are welcomed. Where sinners are welcomed, but where they see that sin is not welcome with God. Where sin must be confessed. They must see the light and be told the truth. And here we have to ask, okay, and here at this crux of the passage, we have to ask, if God is light, how do we as Christians who still sin come to know God? And beyond that, live with God daily. That's a dilemma, right? If we still sin, and we know that if we say that we are not sinning as Christians, that's a lie, and it's bringing separation from God. So what do we do? If God is light, what do we do? Okay, we're going to look here at verse 7 and verse 9, and it's going to tell us that 
God is light, and that confession brings us into the light. Okay, confession brings us into fellowship with God. Let's look at verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we walk in the light, okay, just as walking in darkness had a direct relation in this passage, so does walking in light. So walking in darkness was directly equated with not confessing our sin. So let's look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here, the Apostle John is telling us that walking in the light is equal with confessing our sins. So if we are to be with God, we have to confess our sins. But what does that mean? What does it mean to confess our sin? That's, that's kind of a, a tricky word. I remember hearing that as a kid. Remember we'd sing VBS songs and they had the ABCs to becoming a Christian. A, admit to God that you are a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died for your sin. C, confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you'll live forevermore. And we did the hand motions. But what does confession mean? What does that word mean? Does it mean just to speak? Right, just to say, I'm a sinner. Or Jesus Christ died for me and now I'm a Christian because I believe that I'm confessing it. What does that word confession mean? And I'm gonna say here that the Apostle John, when he speaks of confession, he is not just talking about what you ought to do with your mouth. It is not just a matter of the mouth. It is a matter of the heart. Okay, this word confession has a very particular meaning. It comes from a very particular Greek word. Okay, from a compound of two words, hama, lageo. Hama meaning the same, and lageo meaning I speak or I say. And that word has a wide range of meaning. But here particularly in this passage, when the Apostle John is telling us to confess our sins, that word there means to speak the same thing. So what does that mean? What does it mean to speak the same thing? Confession equals saying something in agreement with God. Confessing your sins means that you're saying the same thing that God has already declared over you, that you are a sinner. Confession is a recognition of our creatureliness. It's a recognition of our subordinates as creatures, as made things to God who is the creator. Creation is, or confession is humility, is bowing ourselves. But beyond just a recognition, right, knowing that, it's saying these things in agreement with God to the point where you are resubmitting yourself under the mighty hand of God. Confession equals repentance. Confession equals repentance. It is not just enough to say something with your mouth, I'm a sinner. I've heard so many people say that. Over the years, no one's perfect. When I preach the gospel to my friends in high school, yeah, I sin, bro, yeah, I'm a sinner. That's not what the apostle John is talking about. 
He's talking about a man who has seen the effects of walking in darkness, who has seen his sin, and who has seen God. And because he sees God, he says, God, I recognize that my sin has led me to death. And I humble myself under your mighty hand. It's bowing your heart to God who is light. That is what confession means. So how does confession, okay, how does that heart attitude, that heart attitude bring us into the light, right? Because God is light. Confession brings us into the light. So how does that happen? How does confession bring us into the light? And we see this happen in two ways in this section, okay, in two ways. The first way is found in verse seven. Let's reread it. If we walk in the light, he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Do you see that? Confessing our sins. Confessing our sins, Christian, brings us common ground with each other as a body, as the people of God. When we confess our sins, it makes us the same. People who are in desperate need of God to come and be merciful to them. It eliminates hierarchies and cliques and groups and people who are on this side of the church, people who sit over here, people who do this thing for the church, people who do that thing. It unifies us. And this verse also necessitates that confession happens in community. Why? Because the effect of confessing our sin is that we have fellowship with each other. That means must be confessing our sin to each other. It's necessitating that you are confessing your sin to other believers who are around you. And get this, the world thinks, right? Oh, how that guy can say that he, he did this and that. And it's, brother, it's kind of awkward, yeah? Or, oh I, oh, I didn't want to hear that. But for Christians, it eliminates any boundaries. Because we think, oh man, I struggle with this sin. Surely, Pastor Randy could never struggle with that. But when we confess our sin, it brings us all to humility. Like Rocky preached about last week, how we all must be humble as Christ was humble. Confessing our sins corporately to one another as a body helps us be humble. It reminds us to take heed lest you fall. Confession brings fellowship with one another. That's the first way that confession brings us into the light. And we are encouraged together to repent of unrighteousness and wickedness and to pursue righteousness and purity. And this is not something, okay, this is not something, confession is not just something that should happen in your prayer closet by yourself. Confession should happen in your prayer closet by yourself, but it also needs to be happening with your local church, with the believers who are sitting around you. You need to be confessing your sin with one another because that breeds fellowship. It breeds humility, which then breeds unity among the body of Christ. 
know, some people are skeptical of this. How can confessing our, our weakness and our failure make us love one another more? I want to share with you a story. When I was in high school, there was a particular sin that I struggled with. I struggled with a particular type of sexual immorality and I was ashamed of it and I struggled and I fought it and I confessed it to my brothers and to my friends in hopes to overcome it. And as I struggled with that sin and I overcame that sin by the grace of God, there was one thing that I did not look forward to doing and that thing was one day telling my wife how I had fallen to that sin, how I had made myself impure, and I did not look forward to that conversation. I was scared. What is she gonna think about me? What is she gonna think? What kind of man I am? If I gave myself to that, I was scared, doubtful, that this could possibly breed intimacy. And yet one day, when the time was right, I took my girlfriend at the time to a beach and I told her, Shauna, this is how I have sinned. And you know what she said to me? She looked at me and she said, I forgive you and I will always forgive you. Do you know what that did for me? It made me trust her. It made me humble, and it bred intimacy and unity between me and my wife. That confession of sin brought us fellowship with one another and with God. So confession brings us into the light, and the first way we see that is that confession brings us fellowship with one another. The second way that we see that confession brings us into the light is that confession brings us God's forgiveness. Confession brings us God's forgiveness. This is the most wonderful set of heavenly truths that a sinner could ever hear, that confessing your sins brings you God's forgiveness. There is great joy for the Christian here. You should be excited and anticipating to hear this, that me confessing my sins brings God's forgiveness. And how does this happen? Verse 9, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see that, Christian? If we confess our sins, we are promised God's forgiveness. We are promised that God will bring us into the light. We are promised that God's wrath will not be upon us, that God's wrath has been swallowed up. Fallen man thinks, okay, the fallen man, the unbeliever thinks, man, if I confess my sin to God, he's gonna destroy me, or I'm gonna feel ashamed and guilty, or I will be made weak. Yet, they do not know that God is already set to destroy them. They already are bound up in shame and darkness and that they are utterly powerless 
in the magnificent glory of God. But the believer can say, I must confess my sin and God must forgive me. That is yours, believer. That is yours. If you confess your sin, God promises, I have a bounty of forgiveness awaiting you, my child. A bounty of mercy and grace. So what hope does confession bring to man? The hope is that God promises to forgive us. And this is not just the charge made about us, right? Like a judge says, you did something bad, not guilty, okay, I'm going to let you go this time. No, experiencing God's forgiveness is an action that continually gives us life continually gives us refreshment, continually gives us a spring to drink from and hope to fight our doubts day in and day out. That is the hope. And notice what God says about his forgiveness. Notice what God says about his forgiveness. He is faithful. What does that mean, believer? It means that you can sin over and over and fall Fall and God will always say, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, you are forgiven. He will never stop forgiving his beloved. He's faithful. And then it says that he is just. What does that mean? It means that it is now right. It is now righteous. It is now just for God to say that you you who have sinned, you, have, you who have fallen, you get my forgiveness. It is now just of God. It is now righteous of God to forgive the believer who sins. And what else? God's forgiveness leads to God's cleansing. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believers, listen to this truth. God does not just forgive you. He makes you new. God does not just say you are innocent. He says, I am making you a new creation. I am giving you my spirit and you will conquer sin. He gives you cleansing. The shame and the guilt are washed away in the fountain of his forgiveness. You can be cleansed. You can be made clean, though you be very dirty. And how? How is it possible for God's forgiveness to be faithful and to be just and to cleanse us? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God can be faithful to you. God can be just in forgiving you. God can cleanse you from all sin because Jesus took the wrath. Because it is through Jesus that we can experience the forgiveness of God. And the bloodshed of Christ is what covers us 
and is the avenue through which we receive the forgiveness, the faithful and just and cleansing forgiveness of God. And whoever, 1 John 2, 23 tells us, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. If you confess Jesus, and he is your rock which you cling to, God promises his forgiveness will be faithful, just, and cleansing. And then this last section, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, God gives us a very good reminder. So God is light, and confession brings us into the light, and by bringing us fellowship with other believers, and by bringing us God's forgiveness, okay, those things happen, and then God is so good to give us a reminder here that he does not demand perfection, rather he makes provision. God, if you are a believer, God does not demand perfection from you. Rather, he has made provision for you, my friends. Let's read on. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Let's stop there. So that you may not sin. That is very important. What does that say about you, believer? about you, Christian, about you, elect of God, about you, redeemed in Christ, you who are washed in the blood, it says that you are no longer a slave to sin. You may not sin. You have the power to not sin because God's Spirit dwells in you. Sin has no dominion over you. You have the power to fight sin by the Spirit of God so that you may not sin. So that you may not sin. So John's purpose is so that believers, so that you, Kahului Baptist Church, would fight sin well and find victory. But God does not demand perfection. He makes provision. Look. Look, but, but, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins. You see that? God made provision for us in Jesus. How did he make provision? He made provision in three ways. The first way that he made provision for us in Jesus is that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost Those who draw near to God through him, since he lives to make intercession for them. Do you see that, Christian? You have an advocate with the Father who lives to make intercession for you. That means that Jesus now is at the Father's ear speaking. Forgive him, Father. Forgive him, Father. Give him grace, Father. Give him grace, Father. Give him victory, Father. Give him strength, Father. Jesus lives to make intercession for you. We have an advocate. 
That's the first way that God has vision. He has given us an advocate. The second way is that Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he made him who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that? So when God is looking at you, believer, he is not seeing adulterer, fornicator, liar, thief, guilty, guilty, guilty. When he looks at you through the lens of the blood of his son, he sees forgiven, righteous, able to conquer sin, conquerors in Christ, my beloved children, son, daughter, heir with Jesus. You are righteous because of Jesus. You are righteous. God made provision by giving you an advocate, by giving us his son's righteousness. And the last way that God made provision for us through Jesus is that Jesus is our propitiation. What does that mean when it says that Jesus is our propitiation? What does that mean? That's a big word, kind of a hard word. Propitiation means simply this, that God's wrath, God's wrath has been swallowed up. That there is no more. It has been satisfied because Jesus took your sin upon himself. Though the fullness of God dwelt bodily, he became sin. That means that he bore all of the wrath that God had for every sin, every unrighteous act, every hateful thought, every misleading deed, every bent of your heart that was wicked. Jesus took the wrath and it's gone. It's gone. God was merciful to make provision for us that God is light and confession brings us into the light and that he makes provision for us through Jesus, his son. Now I know that, is this, is this mic on? Is it working? Okay. And I know that confession sometimes could be awkward, Right? You're like, how do I handle confession? So I want to give you, real quick to close out, four objections that someone, that a believer could have to confessing their sin, and four ways that the scripture answers, four ways that the scripture answers those objections, okay? The first objection, confession would be awkward and uncomfortable. Confession would be awkward and uncomfortable. You know, oh, I don't want to, it's going to be kind of awkward if I go to small group today and I tell them what I did at work, how I lied, how I cheated, how I stole. That's kind of awkward. I don't really want to do that. Well, what does God tell us? What does the Apostle John tell us in verse 6? He says that it is impossible to walk in darkness. It will be extremely more uncomfortable extremely more awkward believer for you to live in sin 
than for you to not confess that sin. It will be impossible for you to live in darkness. The second objection, confession, right? Confessing my sin might bring distance between me and my loved one that I sinned against. Or it might alienate me from my family or people at church might think about me differently, right? We feel that. We feel that, oh man, I don't really want to confess my sin because I, I don't want that to change the way that people are looking at me. Yet the text tells us in verse 7 that confession brings common ground between believers. That it brings deepened trust, deepened reliance, and deepened intimacy and respect. The third objection you might have. Confession of my sin might just make me feel more guilty. It just might make me feel more shame. And I already feel so much shame, I don't want to feel any more shame. It's just going to make me feel more guilty. But confession, the text tells us, brings freedom and cleansing. You have hope. And the last objection that you might have for why you don't want to confess your sin in your small group or with your husband and wife or with your children is, man, how could God ever forgive that sin? That sin is so wicked. How could God ever forgive me for that? Be encouraged. Because Jesus died, because Jesus died for you, it is just for God to forgive you. And he's faithful. He's faithful. And in actuality, all of these objections are of themselves sinful. It's pride. It's pride. Any objection that you could have to confessing your sin, believer, is pride produced by a lack of faith in God's character and God's promises to you. A lack of confession is saying that you have more trust in your ability to hide your sin than you have in God's provision for mercy. It's saying that you believe that you are better and more effective at covering up your sin than Jesus was at bearing it. And that's a lie. When we refuse to confess our sin, it is a direct rejection of God's mercy toward us, church. And I don't want to see confession at Kahului Baptist happen merely for the sake of authenticity, merely for the sake of transparency. You know those churches where it's like, oh man, we're relevant. We confess our sin. We talk about stuff. Yeah. No, that's not what I desire. But for the glorious sake of being holy and dwelling with God. Because I don't want 1 Timothy 3.23 to be said of this church, that having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I want to see you be holy and intimate with one another and unified under the banner of the forgiveness of God. So as we close out, I just want to give a few quick thoughts. If you are a believer, you should be actively confessing your sin. It's a must, and God must forgive you. KBC just started small groups. Where are you? Are you with your small group? Are you pressing into your small group? Are you confessing your sin to each other? 
That's a must, church. Go. Go to your small group. You need each other. Confess your sin. Feel the forgiveness of the Lord. And second, if you are here today and you are not trusting in Jesus, you're refusing to confess your sin. You're living in sin, shrouded in darkness. These truths about God's magnificent mercy are not yours. God's forgiveness is not extended to you. You do not have claim to God's forgiveness, but you can. You can. If you confess that you are a sinner by humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. God desires that all men everywhere might be saved. So let us go to God. Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us. Who are we, God? Who are we, God, that you might know us? Though you be high and lofty, you associate with the lowly. Thank you. In your name I pray, amen.